Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. Welcome to the STEM Everyday Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Woods. Putting STEM into every classroom every day. Well, I'm so excited to welcome you to this episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. As always, I'm Chris Woods, your host, and you can find me on Twitter at DailySTEM or DailySTEM.com. And with me today is an author and a, really a someone who wants kids to just find that science all around, especially add in the nature ideas, uh, maybe start science classes in your school, even, even driving a bus in the summertime to get your kids excited about uh, science and STEM. So welcome to the show, Alan Small. Thank you, Chris, for having me. I'm really excited to be visiting with you. And I think uh, a lot of educators are going to come up with a lot of great ideas listening to uh, our chat today. Uh, you got a couple of great books. First off, let me just mention that you can find his books, uh, The Science Club Handbook and Jesse Marie's Noisy Museum and more to come. You can find them on worthlearning.org. That's Alan's website, as well as at the fort underscore FW on Twitter. And of course, we'll have all those in the show notes. and We'll talk about them again. But Alan, you're, you just love science, right? Even as a three-year-old, you started going to science classes. Yes, I, I've been lucky enough to, to have science in my life for, for nearly my whole life. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm committed to finding fun ways to play around with it as much as I can. I saw one of the things on your website. You said, I want the wiggly, tasty, gritty, stinky, fizzy, and zippy parts of a real science lab. That, that sum it up? <laughs> that that's what I'm hunting for. Uh, a worksheet has its place. It's just not close to me most of the time. I need to put my my hands or my nose or my ears to the to the real getting kids involved with science or STEM using their senses in, in a concrete way. Their engagement goes up. Their interest goes up. Behavior problems go down, uh, and they move faster through the the content that I need them to know. So it's just a more valuable experience. Yeah. And I can imagine any teacher listening is like, yeah, I'd love to have, you know, less discipline problems, more engagement, all those kinds of things in my classroom. And, and again, making things real and concrete is, is such a, a simple thing to do, uh, but it can be difficult as well trying to find those ways to do that. Well, I came to the party a little bit late. I always knew that I liked those, those real concrete experiences but I did not have in my mind right away the disconnect. Uh, a lot of instruction happens abstract on paper, and yep. the, the students are nearly always assessed on paper in an abstract way. But if they haven't had those concrete experiences first, it's kind of a wasted effort. So uh, it took me a, a bit to connect that we got to build those concrete experiences first, then we can go you know, all over with abstract and read about it, write about it, hear about it. Um, as long as they've had some basis for, with the, their own experiences. Yeah. Um, and again, we're chatting with Alan Small. Um, you can find him on worthlearning.org. You're speaking from experience. You've been an elementary school teacher. You've been a high school teacher. You, and then you're actually going into schools. You're helping. You're providing resources. You're writing books now. All those kinds of things just to help teachers, right? Uh, yes. Um, helping, helping teachers find ways to uh, find some meaning themselves so that their efforts in science and STEM are uh, making progress and, and they're getting some fulfill, fulfillment from that. And a big part of making that happen is um, getting students engaged and interested so that they can kind of take charge and move forward with their own interests and, and progress. Yeah. Now, um, a good question maybe right here, Alan, is, is what do you think a really good STEM program can look like? What What's something that just makes it dynamic? I know we've kind of talked about it a little bit already, but 
you had to explain to a teacher, this is what's going to make really good STEM learning happen in your classroom. I would be eager to throw those concrete experiences uh, uh, right in the front. But if I could get a facilitator, a teacher, a guide, anybody to stand in the front and figure out a way to investigate with their kids, I think that the door gets just kicked wide open and then that that classroom can move forward together. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a roadblock that happens sometimes uh, when uh, a teacher will either be the authority and they will say, this is the answer. And then there's, there's no opportunity for the kids to, to experience it. Or if the teacher does not know that information, they may either avoid it or they may roadblock it or they may um, send the student off on a mission to look it up. Um, but if there's uh, a teacher or an educator who can, who can model for those kids, oh my gosh, I don't know, how are we going to figure this out? And then putting their, their hands to it in an investigation, um, that would be my, my dream STEM program where, where everybody felt uh, empowered to, uh, to jump in and hunt for an answer yeah. authentically. Yeah. Now you actually spent a lot of time growing up working at the Fort Worth Museum of Science and History uh, when you were a kid, right? Yes, I had one of one of the most charmed uh, experiences growing up. They have a, a pre, had and have uh, a wonderful preschool there that started at three, and it was the sort of deal where uh, if you're going to get in, your uh, your parents are going to spend the night the night before in lawn chairs, and my parents did that for for years during registration. Yeah, but three years old, four years old, all the way up until sixth grade. Um, and I just had the most wonderful, uh, real science experiences, just Miss Frizzle style, wonderful with the best experts in every uh -huh. area. And then in the sixth grade, the program, you age out at sixth grade. Okay. Um, and so my, my mother in, in her infinite wisdom lied and said that I had failed sixth grade. And so I had <laughs> to do it again. And so I did sixth grade two times with museum school. Um, of course, everybody just kind of smiled and looked the other way because they knew who we were. Yeah. Um, but um, then they felt sorry for me. The, the staff who, you know, I still know many of them to this day, they said, all right, fine, come get on the, get on the clock. And it, uh, they brought me in as a classroom assistant and 425 an hour playing with fossils and launching rockets and, and, and playing with string balloons. And probably, I would say it was an eight year long student teacher experience with the best science teachers that I could ever dream up. The other way of saying it's I got to hang out with some really cool science people and play with fun science stuff all the time. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm imagining that any teacher that knows about a science museum nearby or, or any kind of situation like that, if you could encourage kids to, to try to step in and say, I could, I could help, I could volunteer, I would love to work here, that, that'd be a great opportunity for some kids that you have that are extra interested in science and, and STEM fields. Yes. And actually there is some trepidation with kids, um, like a, a, a wall or a curtain that can be up where they think, Oh, well that's, that's really cool. Uh, but it's kind of like, you know, uh, an astronaut or NFL player where like, yep, that's cool. Somebody does that. It's not me. I could never do that. <laughs> but if, if kids knew how close they were to that possibility, it yeah. would open up those doors. Um, because folks who work in museums are regular people. One of my favorite parts about having uh, this new upcoming book, Jesse Marie's Noisy Museum, is that um, students will be able to have a, a model of somebody working in that space. Yep. Um, and it's a story for kids to read and identify with somebody who walks past the dinosaur bones and feeds the turtles and plays with the bugs and, and plays with the dry ice ice cream. That way, when they see those cool science things that they remember from science class, they think, oh, yeah, I can do that. I can do that as a job. And it's not something that 
that they're divorced from or it would exist at Disneyland. It's something that would actually be within their, within their uh, career opportunities. Yeah. And just, just to let everybody know, um, two things. Uh, first of all, we lost, we lost power in the middle of this, uh, interview. So Alan's now on, on a phone connection. So if you think like, what the heck did it sound weird? Nothing's, nothing's wrong with your podcast. But the other cool thing is your book, Jesse Marie's noisy museum is actually the, your wife's name, Jesse Marie, who you happen to meet. That, that's right. We, we actually both worked at the science and history museum together. Uh, we worked in separate departments and then we just kind of discovered each other and uh, we've been we've been married for for a long time now and enjoy visiting any museum we get to get to we, we're uh, museumophiles and we like to go see different uh, sorts of science uh, experiences that's cool and actually one thing I, I like about alan's website is he talks about they have four fabulous scientists of their own and and actually your four kids are um, slowly going to become some of these new characters in some other books that you're going to write, correct? That's true. They, they like to see themselves uh, out there. And it's a fun connection when I'm visiting schools or talking to, talking to kids. They, they like to know that there's a connection with an actual person who's actually, uh, you know, in these stories, but they also exist. Yeah. Uh, my kids, they get into the, the science and the, and the STEM quite a bit. Sometimes they it's, you know, they get, Oh dad, we don't want to do another thing, <laughs> uh, but, but they, they're pretty, pretty adventurous. And it's, it's good because a lot of the things, you know, with four kids, uh, I don't have any money until they're, until they've moved away. But, but a lot of the things we enjoy, uh, we can do out together. We can hunt fossils together or go hiking or go fishing. And, and so it's really given us some opportunities to connect that I can afford. Yeah. And again, that's a great reminder for teachers to be encouraging their, their families of their kids at school, have the kids just doing those kinds of activities outside with their families. Not only is it great uh, science and STEM times, it's also great family time, which is so important for, for our kids to really grow up with. You know, one of the best things that I ever did for helping families connect uh, with STEM was I planned a fun little trip for myself and my family. Um, and we were going to go fossil hunting, but I just said to, to the kids in my class, I said, Hey, let your parents know, uh, we're going fossil hunting this Saturday and I'm going to be at the Walmart parking lot at 8 AM. And anybody who wants to follow me can come. And we had tons of families who came out and uh, hunted fossils with us and we got to visit. And it just seemed like, uh, after an experience like that, the kids have, uh, you know, of course they have more science right away, but developing relationships in science with the families, it just made the year a whole lot smoother too. So I'd throw that tip out to anybody. That is, that is a really good tip. Thanks, Alan. Uh, again, we're chatting with Alan Small. Uh, you can find him on worthlearning.org or at the fort underscore FW on Twitter. You also, in the summertime, you have this thing called the MoBus. Tell us about that, Alan. MoBus is a, it's part of the school district that I'm a coordinator in. Um, and the MoBus, is a, a mix of several different things. I went and got my commercial driver's license so that I could drive the drive the school bus. And the inside of the school bus, some of the seats have been removed, and it's full of free books for kids. Okay. And it's full. It, it's got STEM activities, so we've got some robotics things, we've got some engineering activities, and then also food services offers uh, snacks or meals. They serve breakfast or lunch. And so in the summertime, we'll put out a schedule that says, you know, the Mo Bus will be. Uh, at this location every Tuesday afternoon, or it'll be at this uh, apartment complex or this laundromat, um, and it'll have a, a designated schedule. And families can and they can come to us and get free books, like a giant free library, 
um, play wow. with some robots, build some newspaper towers and eat some snacks. It's been a lot of fun just taking that bus out there. We've got several large apartment communities where the kids don't even have to go anywhere. We can just show up in their front yard and they can come out and come play and, and uh, make connections that way. And we can kind of sneak up on them and help them avoid that summer slide because they're out in their front yard doing STEM activities and reading books. Yeah, so it, it's been a really good program. We're set up again to do that again this summer in uh, 2019. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to getting and that would, program out. And I would think that any educator, if you can, if you can find ways to be creative in your own classroom, you can find ways to to be creative and say, if if that's something that would really help your kids, you know, look for a foundation nearby or a local business or some kind of program to support something like that. Or, or maybe it's not, you know, on a bus, maybe it's just, opening up the school on, on certain days, or like you said, Hey, I'm going to meet at the parking lot at, you know, at Walmart and we're going to go, you know, hiking, we're going to go whatever, bring your family. So it's not like a, a school activity. You can still do it if it's just a bunch of people with their families. And yeah, and it's a, it's a low risk deal because the, the families who are not into that, they don't, you know, they do something else that day. Um, but the ones who do show up, they have transportation and they have supervision. So I just, plan an event that I want to go do. And, and then, you know, if other people want to come along too, all the better. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a low, low risk and it's not, it's not a high stress deal. Yeah. Now, one of the other things that, that Alan, that you're a proponent of is having a science club at your school. And again, one of the books that Alan has written is called the science club handbook, and you can find uh, links to be able to get his books on his worthlearning.org website. But you think everybody should have a science club at their school. I think that would be wonderful. And it's for a couple of reasons. The one that you can pitch to the, to your administrator uh, would be that, that a good science club or STEM club does wonderful things for kids' achievement because they have a little bit of freedom to pursue interests uh, that they've got in STEM. So they've got a lot more motivation to yeah. uh, move through STEM concepts themselves. But the reason that you might keep to yourself as a teacher or educator would be how much fulfillment you can get out of having that experience. Because if I'm, you know, when I'm in the classroom as a, as a classroom teacher and I'm feeling that burn, burnout feeling, you know, grades, 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 or, you know, too many parent meetings this week or, or whatever stressful thing. If I've got my science club meeting about science content that I'm interested in uh, uh -huh. because I've got, got the supplies or resources, and then I get to go in with a bunch of excited learners who are totally on board with it because that's where they've chosen to be. I can gather fulfillment in a justifiable way uh, that has value. Um, and so I really think that anybody who uh, gives that a shot would appreciate the benefits of it. Yeah. And one of the things uh, in, in chapter one of your book, it talks about how if you had, if you just had 32 hour long meetings during the school year, that would give kids an extra almost 20% of science instruction and, and learning time and creativity time throughout the year over just their normal amount. And that, that 20% would be a huge, you know, imagine if we could lift everybody's scores 20% real, really easily. Um, yeah. But in those schools where science instruction is minimized or given second place in priority of other things, that science club would have an even higher impact on that, on that student population. Yeah. So I, I think that the impact would be, enjoyable and really no, noticeable for, for a campus. Yeah. And again, um, one of the other questions that I wanted to ask you about, Alan, again, we're chatting with Alan Small. So uh, STEM and literacy, uh, those are those are two things that don't often connect together, but 
that's a really important thing, you know, and, and I guess that's partly why you're trying to write some of these books, these children's books like Jesse Marie's Noisy Museum and others. Yes, that's right. There are some great uh, connections that don't automatically show up, at, you know, at first, at first glance. But students who are becoming readers, either they're emerging readers or they, they have gotten good at it, that information that's coming to them is totally abstract. They're right. They're picking up somebody else's information that's being, you know, put down on the page, and then they're translating that. Mm-hmm. Well, if a student is a good reader, they're still going to need those concrete experiences to make meaningful messaging out of that text. But for a student who is a struggling reader, I have one of my one of my sons has dyslexia that he's really he has to put in a lot of effort to uh, be successful as a reader, and he, and he has. But one of the things that has helped propel him is reading about things that he has familiarity with. And so if he's spent time playing with fossils or learning about rocks or, or doing some sort of science experiment, yep. that sort of te- it, that text is just much easier for him than some concept where the words are unfamiliar or he hasn't had a chance to have those concepts in his hands. Yeah. And just thinking through um, another thing that you, you had told me before we started was that teachers really can go from just that worksheet blah to being a STEM wizard, making it real, making it exciting, making it come alive off the page. Yes. And I think the easiest way that a person can do that, well, I don't know the easiest, but the simplest way would be to just tell yourself, it's okay to not know. Let's figure it out together. Uh, because sometimes you don't want to be standing in front of 25 people saying, I have no idea. You asked me a great question and I just don't know. If there's shame in saying, I don't know, um, that's, that's bad. Or if there's pride and you got to say, well, I, I'm going to make up an answer. Well, that's kind of rough. But if you can jump in with the kids and say, hey, let's set that worksheet aside. Let's pull out these uh, supplies over here and play with this for a second. See if we can't figure this out as a group. Come to an understanding on our own. All of a sudden, the kids' understanding is going to be better. Teachers is too, and at that point, uh, yep. but that understanding is going to be going to be raised. Then, when you hand them a worksheet about that concept, it's not going to be troublesome or a drudgery at all because it's going to remind them of how much cool stuff they have in their head. Yeah, and it's not abstract anymore. It's something that they know about already. They've seen it. They've touched it. They've put it in their hands. They've felt that kind of that science information. It's not just information. It's it's real. That's true. And one of the reasons that I love this out of school time uh, sort of programming that, that I do science clubs in is because it's low risk professionally. Uh, I talk to teachers all the time and they'll say, you know, that sounds wonderful. I'd love to do that. But there's no time. There's nothing that I can cut out of my school day, you know, my curriculum oh, yeah. To, yeah. to implement this. And, and that does make great sense. But if somebody's getting their feet under them uh, doing real science, and they do it in an atmosphere that doesn't intrude on the, the regular school day, then they've gained that growth without risking. You know, if I went to my principal and said, hey, I'd like to cut out, you know, 40 minutes of the school day's regular instruction so that I can try this, you'd have resistance. But yeah. if, you, if you say, hey, I'd like to try to open up a club and I'd like to invite some kids to have these experiences and we'll continue doing the regular curriculum too, there's a no lose and there's a lot of, a lot of gain. That's, that's awesome. Thank you, Alan. So um, again, we're chatting with Alan Small. And again, you can find him on Twitter at the fort underscore FW or worthlearning.org where you can find out more about his books as well. One, one other question I want to ask you, because I love to ask everybody, Alan, if you could have somebody from STEM, past or present, come with you into a classroom and just be that guest speaker that just uh, sparks it all for those kids, who, who would that be? Who would you love to have 
I would love to have, I'd love to have Walt Disney come and visit with us. Um, he's, he's not the first person on my mind when I think of a STEM educator, but his whole existence was about connecting visitors or guests with a true experience. And yeah. I think the things that I want kids to know about STEM, he knew about that and was a, a, a fabulous guru and expert about it. And I think it would just be wonderful to sit and listen to him talk about how he helps kids make, or families make those connections. That's, that's an awesome example. And, and now I'm thinking through, I mean, he did have, he did have the programs, the wonderful world of Disney and, and so many of those that looked at the science, almost like a national geographic, but for kids, you know, where it wasn't like lions eating each other and stuff. That's right. He really brought, brought that to life and the whole Disney experience, even if it's a, a fun character, uh, he still found ways to get folks engaged with that. And so I think that ability uh, is, is magical. And I think it'd be really fun to, to get to talk with him about that. Well, Alan, it sounds like you're in, in the opportunities that you're taking, you're also engaging and making those things, those opportunities come to life for kids. And, uh, and that's awesome. And keep up the great work, Alan. Well, I really appreciate those kind words. Thank you so much for having me on the, on the podcast. And I, I love the, love the opportunity to visit. Yeah. And any, any other last thoughts, any other last words, uh, things you'd like to share, Alan? I would just encourage educators to, to not be afraid to, to make make a little bit of a mess. A lot of the most fun learning I've had and just happened to take place right in the middle of a, of a good mess. Uh, a lot of times that when it's sticky all over and sticky in your classroom and sticky on your desks, then that learning is sticking in your head too. So. Amen to that. I like it. All right. Well, thanks again. We've been chatting with Alan Small today. And again, you can find more information about him in the show notes and check out his books. They're a great opportunity to help get some more ideas for your classroom or get more kids interested in STEM by, by reading on their own. Thanks for listening to this episode of the STEM Everyday Podcast. You can uh, find them. You can subscribe. You can leave a review on iTunes, your favorite podcast app. And find me on Twitter at DailySTEM or DailySTEM.com. And we'll talk to you again next time. You're listening to this podcast on the ESDAC Broadcasting Network. To find more information about this or other podcast shows, please visit RemarkableChatter.com.